0: Theological education should be accessible. In the past, men have had to leave their local churches to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, you can now complete a seminary education while staying in your own church and being mentored by your own pastor. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org.
1: Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective.
0: We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to The Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here, as usual, with my co-host, Jimmy Johnson, and we have the privilege of welcoming Chance Faulkner on the podcast today. Well, so, welcome to the podcast, Chance.
2: That's good to be here, brothers.
0: And uh, we have asked Chance to come on uh, to talk about James Hinton. Um, uh, Chance has produced an edited volume titled The Diary of James Hinton. Uh, Dr. Haken in the biographical sketch correctly says not many know of James Hinton. So how did you come to know James Hinton and what moved you to produce this work?
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. Well, in the fall of 2018, I participated in an independent study with Dr. Haken at, at Toronto Baptist Seminary on 18th-century English Particular Baptists, and so I spent the, the that summer reading through his his biographical sketch that his son uh, put together, and and. Being the person that I am, I decided to transcribe it uh, so that I would uh, e- have easily access to to searching it, and and so when when Dr. Haken found out that I had done that, he suggested that I actually compile the diary chronologically uh, because within the bi- biography, his his diary is just kind of spread out everywhere. It's it's totally uh, yeah, out of out of order and and uh, totally random. So that's what I did. I, I spent a year or so editing it and, uh, and annotating it and, and, uh, and that's, that's what we got.
1: Chance, before we, we ask you who James Hinton was and his biographical sketch, perhaps you could tell us who you are (laughs) so our audience can, can know who you are, what you do know about your family.
2: Yeah, so I'm a Canadian. I, I live in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, which is about an hour and a half from Toronto. And I'm the husband to Mary Austin, and together we have uh, four lovely little children. We have t- uh, two two of our oldest, our two oldest, our boys, Titus and Ezra. And then Frances is our oldest girl, and we have uh, little Glory, who is our our little low-key I call her she she loves to climb and get into mischief and and uh, by God's uh, gracious provision we are expecting our fifth in uh, August and so we, we thank him for that and I'm uh, professionally uh, actually a, a wedding photographer so that's what I do full-time and then I also am the co-founder of H&E Publishing and I act as a editorial director there
1: all right. Well, again, thank you for coming on with us. And and again, thank you for producing this, this edited diary of James Hinton. Can you just give us a biographical sketch of James Hinton? Who was he? And why is he important?
2: Yeah, so James Hinton was an 18th century English Baptist minister in Oxford uh, for 35 years, so from 1788 to 1823. Uh, Though he's obscure even to many historians, as Dr. Haken says in his introduction, um, alongside his friends William Carey, Samuel Pierce, Andrew Fuller, Sutcliffe, Ryland, Hinton was, uh, in the words of J.Y. Briggs, he's one of the Baptist ministers who secured the revival of Baptists in Britain. And in a funeral sermon, Joseph Iveme, the 18th century historian and, and minister, mourns that in Hinton's death, uh, they have lost one of their brightest ornaments, not only among the Baptist denomination, but among all dissenters. And so that's, that's pretty significant. Uh, Hinton was born on September 3rd, 1761 in Buckingham, England. His parents, Thomas, uh, who was a staymaker, and, and Mary Strange were godly Presbyterians. And uh, in fact, it was their godliness which became probably the most powerful influence of his early religious impressions. He often witnessed the joy and uh, happiness of his own parents and their relationship with Christ. Now, Hinton's father was actually a first-generation dissenter, and uh, he had received much persecution uh, by his own father. And uh, all of his brothers were like sent away to uh, to work, and they would all come back at the center, and uh, infuriated his uh, infuriated his father. And they uh, he, he like locked them out at night, and his mother would like help them in. And so his father experienced that. Uh, and even uh, during Hinton's childhood, uh, they 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 received a lot of of sort of persecution from from the established church and from non dissenters. And this would actually go to have a, a really big impression on Hinton, uh, to see his, his father's godliness among, uh, amidst that persecution and how people treated him, but yet how, how his father responded to that. And, uh, and we'll see that even within Hinton's life, how he in the future will respond uh, to per- persecution. So he received his education from his parents. Uh, it was evident really early on that he was gifted academically Uh, saying, uh, having quick discernment, sound judgment uh, at at first sight. When he was 14, uh, Hinton began to actually have very severe doubts with Christianity. And this was actually caused by one of his father's workers uh, in the shop who kind of put these questions into Hinton's mind. And particularly with the doctrine of God's sovereignty. So he struggled to see, as as many do, uh, how God could be both righteous and good in His exercise of of divine sovereignty. And uh, you know, he he wrestled with of good works and and sort of went through a, a season of like monastic, trying to keep keeping good works with God's favor. And in about a year after this, of torment, he kind of talks about it as being a torment. Uh, uh, Hinton was converted and. And his, his statement is, is quite fascinating. This is what he says. He says, the Lord carried on his work in my heart and gave me a fresh view of myself as a sinner in his sight, yet not as to lead me to despair, but to flee for refuge to the hope set before me. I trust he has shown me something of the beauty and suitableness of Christ as Savior for me and enabled me to plead for his mercy only on the ground of his satisfaction and death. I trust, I can now say, I desire to account all things but lost for the excellent of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. At the age of 17, Hinton actually goes away to a nearby town of Chesham and, uh to do an apprenticeship with his cousin as a, a candle maker. And uh, he begins to attend a Baptist church while he's there. And uh, we know what those Baptists do to you, right? And so uh, being in Buckingham, his only experience, uh, the only congregation there was Pedro Baptist, and so uh, he's attending this church. Uh, his his sentiments are are one of being Pedro Baptist, but uh, he 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 begins to change his sentiments, and he's convinced of a believer's baptism. And so on May twenty seventh, seventeen eighty one, uh, at the age of twenty, he's baptized as a believer. And at his, at his baptism, he presents a statement of conversion, which is, this is a normal thing for you to do in Baptist churches. Uh, and he did it with such remarkable fluency and fervor that his biographer says that the general impression was produced by the congregation, either that he was destined for the work of ministry or that he would not long continue on the earth, like uh, Enoch, that he'd be taken away. Uh, And so the first two men to suggest to him the work of ministry uh, as as a calling were actually two of the deacons in the church. And he did not not really uh, entertain this idea at at first, but eventually the idea pleased him. Uh, He was set aside by the church and the pastor uh, to devote himself to the work of ministry. And it was decided that he should attend the academy at Bristol to further his education. So in in 1784, which is actually the same year of the call of prayer by Sutcliffe, uh, the local church uh, sends him um, to Bristol Baptist College. Now, Bristol Baptist College was founded in 1679 by uh, the Baptist Church of Broadmead. Uh, For those uh, who might not know, uh, Baptists and dissenters could not actually join the established universities because uh, the University of Oxford, uh, these are these are high, uh, yeah, the high church for the high church people, and so there's no place for the dissenters to go, and so the dissenters formed Bristol Baptists so that they could actually send uh, their ministers to be uh, educated theologically. So the time at Bristol was sweet for him; uh, it was a very, very sweet time. Uh, he formed many dear friendships along. Uh, among his friends were guys like Samuel Pierce, uh, Joseph Kinghorn, uh, Joseph Hughes. And uh, Caleb Evans was the, the president at the time. And, and this, is, this is neat. Uh, Joseph Hughes, who is the fellow student, uh, says this about Hinton. He says, the freedom and fullness which marked the devotional address of Mr. Hinton when taking his turn at family prayer, astonishing and at the same time depressed me to anything in shape in disquisition, I was consequentially unequal. Hinton was a man in age and in understanding. So in 1787, uh, the church at Oxford was seeking a new pastor. The former pastor was removed from Oxford because uh, he had Unitarian views, and so they, they removed him, and they approached Bristol Baptist Academy for assistance. And so Caleb Evans originally recommended Joseph Kinghorn, who's absolute monster, uh, a scholar uh, to be considered. But sort of at last minute, Hinton's name was recommended, uh, and he was actually chosen, and so uh, Kinghorn and, and Hinton actually would become really good. For, they were friends, and they continue to be friends. But uh, but Hinton's name was recommended, and he w- his preaching was actually preferred. So Joseph Kinghorn was the better scholar, uh, but in the minds of the the congregation, was too deep for them. Uh, but Hinton was more simple, and he was more clear, and so he got he got the job. And so in October on January twentieth, seventeen eighty eight. The call was given, and he uh, became their pastor, and he was ordained six months later. And Hinton had his work cut out for him. Uh, The city of Oxford was no fan of dissenters. Oxford was a city that was proud of being part of the established church, uh, and also they had the University of Oxford, which was the high church university. Joseph Ivamy, the 18th century historian, goes so far as to say that Hinton was quote, call to fill perhaps one of the most difficult stations in which a nonconformist minister in England could have ever been placed, end quote. And so this is shown almost immediately uh, as his ministry begins. Hinton began preaching immediately three times on a Sunday. One of those would be uh, an evening service. And most of those who attended uh, were actually not members of the church on the, on the evening service, but they were actually from the university. So people from the university would come, one, at a curiosity, uh, but two, to, they came to disturb or ridicule or break up the church, the meeting. But uh, Hinton's manner of preaching was so simple, uh, pungent, warm, and directed at the heart for the saving of souls that many of the people left, uh, the meetings left converted. Uh, two particular men came to disturb uh, one night and ridicule, and they were saved they were brought into the church and they were raised up uh, for the ministry, and uh, and so that's that's a funny story. There's two significant events that happened. Uh, uh, one was the, the pamphlet controversy in 1789, and then the riot at Woodstock. Uh, the first one, uh, the pamphlet controversy, was with Edward Tatham, who was the rector of Lincoln College. Basically, Tatum went on preaching on, on a preaching tour around Oxford. Uh, attacking dissenters, but more particularly, he is attacking Hinton and the Oxford congregation. These sermons were eventually published, and uh, in the one year they went through eight different printings. So they were uh, widely read. Uh, so his attacks were numerous from claiming that uh, the dissenters were self-educated, uh, quote, where the smell of Greek had scarcely passed upon their garments. They're self-taught, they're self-ordained, and we're undermining the established church with false doctrine, and also disloyal and an enemy to the crown. So Hinton is a man who does not like controversy. Uh, you know, his, his motto was peace, uh, truly, but he knew he could not remain quiet, and so he picked up his pen and he wrote uh, the little treatise in response. It's called A Vindication of the Dissenters in Oxford. Boldly, courageously, and winsomely, he answers those charges, uh, and he shows that they're completely not valid, uh, but in fact, the the opposite are true. So not only did he as a minister undergo rigorous training at at Bristol Baptist College, but he trained under extraordinary men. Hinton would actually start a grammar school uh, in Oxford, which many of the most respected in Oxford would send their children uh, to be educated by him. And uh, Hinton would also go on to actually write a grammar on Latin. Um, and so, uh, like we said, he's one of the brightest, right? One of the brightest, as Ivney uh, said. So this, this work from Edward Tatum and his attacks of the dissenters would really kind of become like a leave-in, uh, a leave-in in Oxford and the surrounding villages by which the contempt for the dissenters would, would percolate for a couple of years and would overflow into uh, sort of the second event, which is the riot at Woodstock which happened in, in May, 1794. Basically, Hinton would go around and, and preach to the villages uh, who, who didn't have ministers. And so he, he agrees to, to preach to Woodstock, uh, a congregation of about 50 people. And so shortly after the commencement of the service, an armed mob for about 300 or 400 people broke up the service. Uh, Hinton and four others uh, who were with him, they barely escaped with their lives. And the mob followed Hinton and uh, those with him, hurling insults. They uh, violently began to beat him with clubs and blows and, and stones. Uh, one guy was uh, left in a ditch; uh, they thought he was dead. Uh, but pressing through the crowd on their horses, they were able to escape, and uh, and there were no lives lost, but uh, but serious injuries. And this is what his diary his diary entry is for that for that day. He says this. He says. A dreadful riot at Woodstock this day. Myself and four companions, much wounded by the mob, with difficulty escaped with our lives. Blessed be God, who did not leave us in the hands of the enemy. May the blood of a good man shed this day in the streets of an unhappy town, not cry to heaven for vengeance. Rather, let us pray. Father, forgive them, lay not this sin to their charge. May the great God so ordain that this persecution may be the commencement of much good to the numerous inhabitants of Woodstock. My mind is very happy, thinking it an honor that I am accounted worthy to bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus and suffer for his name. All right, so Hinton's love and his godliness towards these persecutors is really one worth reflecting on and, and imitating. Uh, he, he didn't hold bitterness. He didn't even actually desire their just condemnation. But on the on the contrary, his his biographer, who's also his son, says this. There is nothing on which his heart was more warmly set than on proclaiming divine forgiveness to those who would have shed his blood. And it's, it's amazing because years later, he would help establish a church in Woodstock. And, uh, and one of the people there in the opening day was, and he shook his hand and he was uh, part of the church, was one of his attackers. And... Uh, and this whole event really caused uh, caused many of those in Oxford and the surrounding villages to really shun Hinton because they, they charged him this riot as being his fault. Uh, and so the congregation and him were, were shunned. Uh, but in due time, Hinton would actually win them over. And, uh, and one example of this is, is about six years after this pamphlet controversy, in 1798, basically, Britain is pretty certain that French are about to evade. Um, everyone's freaking out, uh, and but Hinton publishes another little track, and it's called "Brief Thoughts on Defending Our Country." Basically, he argues that that of course Christians have the responsibility for us to to pray for the peace of our nation, but also participate in fighting for Britain in defense of the country, uh, in loving our neighbor to protect our neighbor, uh, that the Christian's duty is actually to to fight uh, in in defense. And in response to this, Hinton receives a very warm and letter of praise from none other than Edward Tatum. And this is what he says. He says, I rejoice in reading your brief thoughts on the importance of defending our country. I love you For the patriotic zeal and religious principle which pervade your short address to the inhabitants of Oxford. I hope and pray that it may have the desired effect, and I sincerely thank you for such a seasonable uh, uh, admonition. I have no doubt, but every honest man will join me in applauding your well-timed exertions." So Hinton goes on to have a really incredible faithful ministry, uh, the Oxford Meeting House, Uh, is eventually, it's enlarged twice in 1798 and 1819. Hinton is really a popular preacher and a a soul winner. One, uh, One listener said in his journal, said few preachers can come so far home, so faithful, so close to men's hearts without affronting their feelings. And by that means hindering or spoiling the good effect they would otherwise produce. He alarms the conscience, but he does not wound the ear but with language the most free and natural persuades you to attend to him. Hinton was basically a few sort of other things that Hinton uh, uh, did was, well, he was offered to replace Samuel Stennett at uh, Wild Street Church in London. Uh, He was asked to take over John Fawcett's Baptist Theological Seminary in uh, Hebden Bridge, Uh, but but Hinton cared too much for his own sheep, and though he he considered it, uh, he would not leave them. Uh, He remained them, Uh, with them until his death in 1823. The College of uh, Rhode Island offered him an honorary doctorate of divinity, which he rejected. Uh, Hinton became the first president of the Sunday School Society, which he helped found in 1815. And Hinton was also involved heavily with the Baptist Missionary Society. Uh, He was one of the founders of the Baptist Union. uh, And like I said earlier, he, he ran one of the most respected grammar schools. And for a very short time after Fuller's death, Hinton, along with uh, Ryland, would, would co- uh, be co-secretaries of the Baptist Missionary Society. Hinton dies in 1823, um, and by the end of Hinton's life, uh, he enjoyed, bit, this is a quote, he enjoyed the universal uh, approbation which he so justly earned. Many respected him who did not respect his religion. His biographer and firstborn son concludes his biography in the following words uh, and, and and it's where I'll conclude as well. Seldom has a minister been more highly esteemed by the congregation of his care, by the denomination to which he belonged or by the religious public at large and never did a resident dissenting minister acquire so much respect at the university in the city of Oxford.
0: Well, thank you for that biographical sketch of James Hinton. And also, thank you for sharing uh, your efforts of laboring to uh, study James Hinton with our audience. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, you produced an edited volume titled The Diary of James Hinton. So what are some of the major themes that we find throughout his diary?
2: Yeah, it's... uh well, it's br- br- brutally, it is brutally and refreshingly honest, if you read it. It's, uh, yeah, brutal is, is, I think, a, a helpful word. Uh, but we see a real pastor. Uh, we see a real pastor with real concerns. And we see a real pastor uh, who's a real Christian uh, with real struggles. And, uh, and he used his journal as a means of, of self-reflection and, and examination. So a few of the themes that we see is we see this idea of watchfulness. Uh, His diary is full of of review of of the week, of his spiritual state, of his confessions, of his failures, of his temptations, of his spiritual improvements, or uh, maybe not improvements. Uh, He he regularly devotes a section of his prayer to entries uh, to a weekly review, where he'll review the week. Uh, and he'll also do at the beginning of the year, usually he'll, or at the end of the year, he'll, he'll kind of go over uh, this year. How's his, his spiritual concerns this year? Has there been improvement? What has he battled with? What, uh, you know, where has he seen the hope of the gospel? And uh, so he was very, he was also very serious about his sermon preparation. And uh, and Fuller says this actually a lot in his ordination sermons, you know, he talks about you know to to future pastors that you need to be a christian before you're a pastor you need to come to scripture uh in your devotions and in your preparation as not primarily as a pastor but as a as a christian uh and 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 saturday evening was when hinton actually did a lot of his entries because he 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 really took seriousness of what he was going to be preaching the next day examining himself uh, applying it to himself uh, in preparation for the Lord's day. So he was, he was, we see a a guy who is first a Christian before he's a a pastor. Uh, As Nigel Wheeler has said about, uh, about Fuller and his ordination sermons, uh, which I think applies is, uh, you know, eminent usefulness is an overflow of eminent spirituality. Uh, And so that we see that with, with Hinton, we see the spirituality coming in this, just this raw, honest, um, Christian man who, uh, desires to grow in Christlikeness and, uh, and shepherd his, his people. Uh, we, we also see a lot of prayer within his, his diary. His, his diary entries are just sort of peppered with, with prayers to God as, as he, uh, you know, realizes his shortcomings and his failures. He, you know, overflows into prayer, uh, for God's help as he, uh, you know, documents, uh, as he documents things that good things that have are happening, uh, spiritual improvements or things that are happening in the church. Again, it overflows into prayer. We see a lot about uh, corporate worship. Uh, he talks a lot about the Lord's Supper and about um, you know even it, uh, he even talks about his his preaching and and uh, you know the effect that it's having on people and and, and again we see we see a lot of struggles. Uh, you know I, Jimmy and I have talked about this uh, and it's it's quite refreshing because we see a man who uh, in one sense it's discouraging because you're like you're you're a faithful pastor who's ministered for so many years and you're still struggling with the same thing you're still discouraged for your sin you you have real doubts and uh, but it's a helpful it's a helpful lens uh, for us to look especially in ministers because we when we see something like that, we realize, okay, I might be the first five years into my ministry and I'm looking and reading this and I realized, wait a second, the struggles I have now might be very, very real in 30 years. And uh, that's discouraging in one part, but it's also very encouraging to know here's another man who's gone before me, who was faithful, uh, faithful to the end. And yet um, the Lord uh, worked with him. The Lord never forsake him. Uh, and that brings much encouragement to know uh, I might be struggling in thirty years with some of the very same things. is is actually encouraging for many of us. And uh, and but we also see in his his journal just he he, he repeated this this phrase always trusting in the cheerful hope. Of the gospel. So there's much discouragement where you feel like he's discouraged, but he's always coming back of, of trusting in Christ, in the finished work of Christ for him, trusting in his identity in Christ. Uh, and he's always looking forward to the cheerful hope of the gospel, which overflows into a thankfulness, which overflows into ministering to others. And, uh, the, you know, we see things of his love for his wife and his children and his, his anxieties and what he's worried about. It's all very, very Uh, discouraging and all very, very encouraging at the same time. Like I said, it's brutally honest and refreshingly honest.
1: Yeah, to all that, I I say amen, having having read it myself. And I I do encourage our, our listeners to to get the the edited diary and and read through it it's not long by any means and his entries are are not long typically some of them are longer than others but most of them are very short quick reads and and yes it's true that he does talk about the same struggles at the beginning that he does even pretty much all the way to the end um as well as he's always coming back to that hope that he has in Christ um so this is somewhat related, and, and you kind of already got into it in answering the last question, but what can pastors and Christians in general learn from him as a spiritual mentor?
2: That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I consider Hinton really a friend to myself and a mentor to myself. You know, the best mentors are usually dead guys because, you know, they finish well right? Isn't that true? Uh, you know, one thing that Hinton sought to do all of his life was, uh, he says in his ordination sermon, he says, uh, he desired to live in unity and peace with all that love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think that's actually one of the first first things that we see. Uh, this is a marvelous goal, and it's a, a Christ-like practice uh, that he he committed to, and he actually did uh, until his final breath. So he, he believed that that fellowship with other believers should not be sacrificed uh, on the altar of of open-handed issues, uh, 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 different opinions. Uh, Disagreements should not, really should be let go uh, for the sake of peace. So in his view, uh, a loss of fellowship with other believers due to these disagreements was, quote, greatly to be dreaded, As an evil for which no increase of numbers can compensate, so his his charity and his graciousness towards those who differed with him uh, actually often caused him uh, prevented him from causing unnecessary offense. So, so what he endeavored to do uh, when he met with his congregation uh, in pastoral visits uh, was to have those meetings. be uh, conductive to peace and harmony of those he is ministering to, right? So this is Hinton notice that, quote, the danger that most of all uh, besets a pastor is freely speaking to everyone. A pastor who speaks freely without knowing often speaks careless words and opinions which could hinder and unnecessarily offend the one whom he is ministering to. Right. So so Hinton, when he is meeting with uh, a member of his church, he he does so uh, having studied them and knowing sort of uh, who they were and intentionally avoid stumbling blocks uh, to those under his charge. So by by visiting, it would just be a very fruitful time uh, that he could just minister to them. And by doing so, he came to know their different opinions. And so when he visited them, basically, he'd make use the best of their time uh, so that he could care for their soul. The other thing that we see is that he's he's actually not willing to either speak or or tolerate listening to gossip about other people, uh, whether true or false, uh, behind someone's back, and uh, and any that he uh, he did hear he he would refuse to to speak. And this is amazing. This is a, you know one thing that I've learned so much from Hinton is Hinton chose to speak of others in a way that if uh, he, he, yeah, he chose to speak of others in a way that he would is if they were present. Uh, and if he did hear Christians quarreling, he was he was so ready to mediate the breach. Like he was he was right there. And he he would he would, he would view people's character in the best possible light. So so one of his resolutions was not only to think and to speak of other Christians in a way that was honoring and respectable. Okay, but he sought to actually discern the excellent things in people and give praise uh, and love to them. And this is what his biographer says he says, Hinton viewed their character in the best possible way, never to see their failings and to even think that they had none. Whatever infirmities he discerned, or in whatever instances he wished their conduct to be altered, he spoke only to themselves and never would he let it be known to the people that he had found any fault or. Uh, that he had any to find. So he wasn't ignorant of people's faults or shortcomings, but he chose to speak of the good rather than the bad. For the sake of love, he chose to be actually blind and deaf and dumb to people's imperfections. Uh, in fact, he regularly said that if he intentionally withheld this kind of Christian regard from someone, he should, this is a quote, he should certainly on meeting in heaven be prompted to make an apology immediately. Right? So he'd regularly say, I'm determined that there shall be no disagreements. For if the one I'm disagreeing with will not give up the point, I will. So he he practiced this, uh, what he preached, doing all that he could to prevent strife when the issues at hand were open-handed. He He refused to argue a point in conversation if that point was open-handed and didn't seem to be making ground. He just gave it up. And this does not mean that he changed his mind on the point, but for the sake of fellowship, he would refuse to argue in one-on-one conversations. In his public teachings, however, he did not compromise his message uh, for the sake of itching ears, so that's not uh, what he was, or for the sake of someone disagreeing with him. And this is actually, this is, Hinton says this, he says, as far as I can give satisfaction to my hearers and also satisfy my conscience towards God, I sincerely wish to do it, but never... Never, never must I, however you may wish it, never will I, God helping me, alter one word of my message to gratify the corrupt taste of man. I must preach, whether you will hear it or not, the duties as well, the doctrines taught by the Son of God. Amen, right? So he, he sought to be peaceful. Uh, he did so in a way that never sacrifices biblical conv- convictions, right, on this altar of, of peace. So he was tender, but he was also tough. Uh, he was loving but he was truthful he was peaceful but he was he was no coward uh, he would never compromise his responsibility as as a duties as a minister of the gospel uh, he was not willing to enter a controversy if if it uh, if it was to enter controversy if it was necessary unless it was uh uh, necessary. He he was steadfast in his convictions without attacking those he disagreed with him. In his own words, Hinton sought to be peaceful uh, without cowardice. So I think really, when I take when I think of Hinton, I think of that. I want to be. I think a lot of us, myself included, need to to take that from Hinton and uh, be people who are peaceful without cowardice.
0: the diary of James Hinton is published by H and E publishing. And you mentioned your involvement with H and E publishing. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about H and E? How did it start? What is your role and what kind of works do you publish?
2: Yeah. So that's a great question. I'm still trying to figure out my role. (laughs) Uh, you know, so I started H and E. So H and E stands for Hesed and Emmett. Uh, You know, it's uh, you know the heart of the covenant, steadfast and faithful love is uh, is sort of Hesed and Emmet. and uh, you know God's steadfast and faithful love to us, and and that's obviously climax in the new covenant in Christ. And um, so I, my in August twenty eighteen, I was. I had just read a little book. Actually, it was it was John Piper's book on Andrew Fuller. And I sat down and I I read it in like one sitting. I was just, it's really small, really easy to read. And I sat down and when I got up, I had finished it. And I was like, this was amazing. I just read this tiny little book. I feel amazing about myself and uh, I feel productive. And I've just learned a lot about this this Andrew Fuller who I've never heard of. And uh, so that originally got me thinking, like, oh, there needs to be more books like this, where we can just sit down. We don't have to like get through three hundred pages, and it's just it really like a dessert, you know. Uh, So that at first got me like, oh, I wish there was more more publishers, and I'm sure there there were uh, more books like that. But then uh, you know, I started taking Baptist history and and realized that there's so many good works that have been published that no one will ever read again because uh because they're not available and if they are available you have to go into google scan documents and like find them and their treacherous readability and and so i i texted i was in actually north carolina visiting uh with with my in-laws and i, I actually remember so clearly i texted a friend of mine who's a pastor in in uh london ontario and. Uh, I said, "Do you want to start a publishing house?" And like a few minutes later, he goes, "Yeah. When do we start?" And uh, and a few days later, we had I had transcribed uh, Andrew Fuller, "What is Truth?" And it was a disaster. I didn't know we didn't know what we were doing. But uh, so we had our first technically book just a few days later. It needed a much editing work. And so that's sort of how we how we started. It's like we want to see old works reprinted. We want to see we want to see Baptist works reprinted among others. We want to see uh, Puritans and these things as well, but there's so many good resources that have blessed the church so richly, but aren't made available in a way that is readable and uh, for the the average layperson. And so that was how we started. We're like, let's, let's start. We'll publish 60 reprint 60% Baptist, and uh, we'll do a lot of reprints, but let's make them short, some of them short, readable. And, uh, um, we're not we're not looking to be make a ton of money, but let's just make these available. And so that's sort of that's how we started. And uh, and it, that was yeah, 2018. So it's been a few years, and it's been a really fun adventure. But uh, in my role, technically, is I'm the editorial director. And so what that means is I'm sort of just overseeing uh, to make sure yeah you know, the edit- editorial process of uh, of the books. But as a but really we I kind of do in one sense, everything we, uh, there's, there's, there's two of us. Corey, who is the executive director is, is amazing. Uh, he's, he's wonderful. I wouldn't be able to, uh, do the publishing house without him. And, uh, if he stopped doing it, uh, the whole thing would close down. Uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do it. He's amazing. He's uh, a dear brother. He's basically everything I'm not. And, uh, it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing. And, uh, Yeah. uh, You know, someone said once, like surround people who are a lot better than you. And so I definitely have have done that with Corey. He's uh, he's he's wonderful.
1: Yes, H and E has several good works. We we've interviewed um, Michael Haken, who has uh, several um, volumes that he's either edited or or written a forward or an introduction to, or has written himself. Like Kiffin, Nollies, and Keach is is one that I believe you guys have published, as well as the Empire of the Holy Spirit, which we just interviewed him on. Not too long ago, so H and Publishing is definitely publishing a lot of good, good content. And and you listeners, you should go check out their website. Um, and and they do a lot more than just Baptist reprints, as as Chance said. They have all kinds of stuff on there, um, and different imprints and things like that. And they do have some books that are over three hundred pages. I I assure you <laughs> that they have a few, including. Um, the biography on Keach, um, by Austin Walker um, is a is a long book, and that's Joshua Press, but I, I believe that's an imprint of H and E. So go check them out. Um, Chance, do you have any other encouragements that you would like to just give our listeners as it relates to James Hinton or or just anything?
2: Yeah, I think. I think I would say that in a world where we are so willing to hang each other on the gallow of secondary issues, we would do well to learn from Hinton. It is possible to be steadfast in our convictions without attacking those who disagree with us. Uh, it's, it's possible to be peaceful without cowardice. It's possible to be tough and tender. Uh, it's, it's possible to have thick a thick backbone and a soft heart, uh, though one might have theological differences and, and sometimes significant differences. We are to talk to Christians in a way that reflects that they are brothers and sisters in Christ.
1: Um Yes. Yes, I, I, I concur with that. We have been talking about James Hinton with Chance Faulkner. We have also talked about H&E Publishing or, or Hesed Inamet, and, and you can find their stuff at hesedinamet.com. So if you want to go check out more of their stuff, including the Diary of James Hinton edited by Chance, go check that out, hesedinamet.com. And, and to our listeners, we want to wish you grace and peace.